Well, hey, we're, we're, we're kicking off today uh, a brand new collection of talks uh, entitled, What Difference Does God Make? In fact, I think this is going to be a really great, great collection, great series. If you know anybody who maybe they're just kind of not really sure, like, what difference does God make? They would be considered a skeptic, maybe a doubter. Maybe they'd say, man, I don't think I believe at all in a God, but I wouldn't mind hearing somebody from a faith community give a little bit more detail and information and knowledge concerning this topic. This is a great, this is a great series, great, great collection for you to bring somebody out to. Because we're going to be talking from all different topics, but this whole idea of what difference does God make is really a big, really a big one. And today we're going we're gonna to lay a foundation, and I was telling all of our servant leaders earlier, we don't have volunteers here, we have servant leaders, and, and I was telling all of our servant leaders earlier at 9 o'clock during our team rally, I said this this series, probably more than any other, any other series I've ever done, ever, in the last 12 years of, of communicating and preaching, has been probably the most challenging one for me to not study, but to figure out how to communicate. There's just a lot to this, and, and so every talk is going to kind of build upon each other. And so if you, if you, it's kind of like, it's kind of like if you jump into a Netflix series and you jump in on week three and you didn't see week two or one, you feel a little bit like, like I'm not really sure what's going on. I'm going to do my best each week to kind of bring people up to speed who maybe weren't here the week before. But, but this probably more than any other series is really going to be intentional to build upon one another. So, so I'm asking for the next few moments, if you're newer to this community and that you're brand new here, you've never been here before, we're so glad that you're here. We really are a community that, that believes that you don't have to believe anything I'm about to talk about today in order to belong right here in this family. We, we truly believe that and live that out. But if you are a part of Ethos, I'm asking that you lean into this because I think there's something here that, that we need to grab a hold of, that we, need to, that we need to understand. So I want to speak from a message entitled, No God or No God. Okay, No God or No God. <laughs> Depending on how you say that, it could just be the same thing, repeated itself over and over again. How many of you in here uh, are parents? Can I see your hands? You're a parent in here. You have kids. Okay, how many of you don't have kids? Can I see your hand? Okay, regardless of whether you have kids or no kids, um, th this is what I know about. This is what I know about you. I may not know you personally, but this I know about you. There are some things that you want to be known for, especially in today's age, uh, the day in which we live, where everybody is is fairly well connected. Uh, we all have things we want to be known for, and we make those things public, don't we? Like we. We put out there publicly what we, want to be, what we want to be known for. As a dad, there are some very specific things that I want to be known for. Like, like I've got two young kids. They're extremely impressionable ages. My daughter's 10, and my son Judah is four. And, and, and because my wife, uh, because, because she's such a better mom than me, like I have to step up my game constantly, and, and so there's some things I'm really striving for. Like, I want to be known as a kind father. Like, I want to be known as a patient father. Like, I want to be known as a dad who kind of takes their son under his wing. And, and even though it's taking me longer because he's helping me now, but, like, I'm patient with You know what I'm saying? Like, parents, you know what I mean? Like, I could do this so much faster if you just let me do this. But I want to be a patient dad. I want to be a good teacher and I'm not always either one of those things, and so I, but I want to be those things. I, I want to be known as a father who has, who has integrity, right? Like, I want to be known as somebody, as a dad, who if I tell my kid yes, I mean yes. If I tell them no, I mean no. If I tell them four o'clock, I mean four o'clock. Last week, uh, my wife and I were, were teaching together, and, and we shared a little bit about how um, 
I have a tendency to forget some things sometimes. And, and specifically how I had forgotten my son, uh, who's four years old, I forgot to pick him up at preschool. Uh, his, his pickup time is 1140. And I would say 90% of the time, if not more than that, my wife picks him up from preschool. Occasionally, there'll be something where, you know, she has an appointment that she can't switch around and she can't get to him. And so she'll have me, she'll ask me to pick him up. And, and I'm just, I'm like the best husband in the world. And so I'm like, absolutely, I'll lay everything down for you, babe. And that was a joke, by the way. Nobody liked it. That's okay. We're going to go, we're just keep moving forward. And so, and, and, and so I, I just completely forgot, like, it just, 11.44 popped up on my phone. I'm supposed to pick him up at 11.40. I saw my time on my phone as I received a text message. I look at the clock. I'm like, 11.44, why does it sound like something I should be? What am I missing? And it just dawned on me. I forgot my, forgot my son. And, and Emily, his preschool teacher who comes to church here, she's here today, um, and she's so gracious, and she's the best teacher for our son, and we love her so much. And we're so thankful for the way that she cares for him. Um, but I feel bad because when I forget my son, it, it eats into her lunch hour, so I feel like I'm disrespecting her, so it's, not, it's a bad tension, and because I'm also her pastor, it makes it even more awkward, and so, so, so this past week, uh, Courtney um, was out of town. She was visiting somebody, and, and so she was out of town on Wednesday, and so it was my day. To, I had to pick him up again, and I was, I was with Weston, and, and we were, we were working. I was actually working on this talk right here, what we're talking about today. I was working on it, so I was I was doing the Lord's work. I was doing, I was doing, I was doing God's mission. And, and, and I, I get a phone call from my wife. It's about, a, it's about 11.52. And, and I see this call come through, and I was literally just about to leave and go to lunch to meet Josiah, our guest services director. And I was just about to leave and go, go, to, go meet Josiah for lunch, which makes this story that much more the worse. And, and because I had lunch plans, and, and, and so I thought, I'm going to call, as soon as I saw her call, I said, I'm going to call her back when I'm on the road to meet Josiah at 12.15. I need to meet him at 12.15. And, and, and right after I get the call from her, I'm on my laptop, and I'm just about to close it up. And I see a text message come up on my laptop, and it's from my mother-in-law, and it says, did you forget your son? Because <laughs> my wife was with my mother-in-law. And, and, I, and I'm like, what? Oh, shoot. I literally, I slammed my laptop shut. I kind of like shuffled around because I had all of my stuff and equipment and books like sprawled out on a table. And I kind of shut. I'm like, what do I do? I don't have time to pick this up. I looked at Wes. I was like, Wes, can you get all that? And I just sprinted out, out the, 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 the coffee shop that we were in at the time as fast as I could. I get to Emily. And I'm like, Emily, I'm like, I'm so sorry. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm like so embarrassed by this. And she's like, it's okay. It's like, just more time for me to spend with, with your son, Judah. I'm like, you are such a better person than I am. Like, <laughs> my gosh. And, and, but fortunately, my son's only four years old, so I still have time to kind of redeem myself because his cognitive memory is not fully developed yet. And so hopefully he's like, my dad is a man of integrity, and his word is his word, you know? I'm like, when you were four years old, son, I forgot you twice on back-to-back -back weeks. Like, <laughs> The only two days I was responsible to pick you up. Like, <laughs> there's, this, there's this quote from a man by the name of A.W. Tozer. He's this kind of really famous pastor who passed away in the mid-20th century. He, he said this, What comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. 
It's interesting because this whole idea of what difference does God make, it's kind of a big topic. It's a big, it's a big question, and, and it's different depending on who you're aiming it at. Like if we were to aim this question at God, and we say, God, what difference do you really make? Like there's all sorts of a mess going on in our world right now. What difference do you really make? Or if we aim this question at ourselves, and maybe we were looking at someone who didn't believe in God. And, and we said, my next-door neighbor who doesn't believe in God seems to kind of have the, I don't know, pretty similar life to my life, and I believe in God. What difference does God really, does God really make? It's really a big question, and, and to unpack this question, I, I, I hope that we can kind of at least get slightly beneath the surface over the next five or six weeks together. But, but I, I'm asking that we would aim this question at our own lives today, that you would ask in reference to your life, God, what, what difference do you really make in my life? More, more than ever, more Americans than ever, I should say, are backing away from, from religion. I mean, statistics will prove this over and over and over again. Consequently, backing away and, and deconverting from a, from a faith or an identity in, in God. Now, throughout our talks over the next five weeks, uh, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna use a ton of scriptures. So if you're, if you're, if this is like home to you, if ethos is is your community, uh, you're familiar and probably comfortable with how much scripture I generally use on a, on a Sunday morning to illustrate our point and our, kind of our big ideas. But but throughout these talks, I'm not gonna use a whole lot of scripture because I don't think that you can use a faith source to prove to prove the existence of of God to a skeptic. And I'm not. I'm not trying to prove the existence of God. I'm not. I'm, my goal in this, honest to God, honest to God, is not to, to prove God. It's not. I'm not trying to convince anybody. I'm really not. But I, but I do have an agenda. I do have an agenda here. If you're, if you're a follower of Jesus, my agenda for you is, is that I would, I hope that these talks would, would equip you. Because I think that we live in a slightly different environment, a slightly different age than what existed even just 20 years ago. And I think that as followers of Jesus, we need to adapt and in, in all humility, from my perspective, I don't think we're adapting very well. Now, if you're, if you're not a Jesus follower and you, you're in here and, and you say, you say, Man, I, don't, I don't really know what I believe about God, or maybe I've kind of cemented my beliefs that there is no God, then my hope for you and my agenda for you is that I just want to inform you. Honestly, I'm not trying to persuade you. I'm not trying to convince you. And I'm certainly not trying to convert you. I just, I just hope, to, I hope to inform you. But there's one thing I want to share, and it's the words of Jesus. And even, even, I mean, all scholars now today would agree, all researchers would agree that Jesus was a real man. At the very least, he was a really good person too, and a great teacher. And that if we abided by his teachings, the world would be better. And here's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verse, verse 28. He said, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Which I think most of us would say yes, yes, and yes. Jesus says, come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take, take a real rest. Walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. That's the invitation, it's the invitation of Jesus. What comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing about you. I started thinking about that quote this week, and, and so I wanted to discover what comes to mind when people think about God. So I went to the source of all knowledge, Google. 
And, and I typed in God. And I went to the images because I want to see visually what are people thinking about when they think about God. And, and, and overwhelmingly, the majority of the images, literally the entire first page, uh, is, is old white guy with a beard. I mean, you keep scrolling. I mean, who scrolls to multiple pages, by the way? Nobody anymore. But I did just because I wanted to see what was there. And I mean, like, if it's not in the first four results on Google, like, it must not be real. You know what I mean? And so, like, like but I, I just kept scrolling. And again, I just kept finding old white guy with a beard. In this case, old angry white guy with a beard. <laughs> Eventually, though, you'll come across, you'll come across Morgan Freeman, <laughs> which is kind of cool. But then again, it just went back to old white guy with a beard. And I started thinking about this for a moment. I thought, man, this is kind of interesting. Because there's, kind of, there's, this, there's this other old white guy with a, with a beard that, that I was like, hmm, it's kind of similar to. And, and that's Santa Claus. And it's, it's kind of comical, but it's, it's also kind of profound. Because it's, it's around the same time that we used to believe in God, sort of like we used to believe in, in Santa Claus. You know, Karen Armstrong, who uh, deconverted, uh, she, was, she was a deconverted nun, later came back to the, to the Christian faith, and, and she wrote a book called The Case for God, and it's a brilliant book if you, if you enjoy reading. And, and she, she, she said this, she said, many of us have been left stranded with an incoherent concept of God. We learned about God at about the same time as we were told about Santa Claus, but while our understanding of the Santa Claus phenomenon evolved and matured, our theology remained somewhat infantile. In other words, what she was saying is that we grew up, but our faith, our faith didn't. Like you, um, I can remember, like many of you, I should say, I, I can remember exactly where I was on 9-11. Some of you weren't even born on 9-11-2001, but... Uh, but, but like most of you, I can remember exactly where I was on that day. And, and 9-11 had a significant impact and effect on our nation. Uh, and, and in fact, for the, for the next several weeks after 9-11, churches were packed. They were more full on Sunday mornings the three weeks after 9-11 than they were on Easter Sunday. I mean, they were just cramped. Everybody was leaning into looking for answers. In fact, many people thought that this was going to stay that way, that they thought churches are going to remain full because here we've got the, the extremist Islam, Islamic terrorists and they attacked uh, the, the Christian nation, what they refer to as the, the great Satan. And so people thought, man, we're going to rally around this. And they kind of rallied, and, and just in classic American fashion, we, we rallied together in hard time and, and we rallied around, around being, being Christian, being a Christian nation. But it didn't last. In fact, it kind of waned pretty, pretty quickly as, as we as we kind of began to fight that, that war and, and churches kind of went back to, to our normal attendance. But, but something began to shift. And I'm not sure if you're aware of this. I'm not sure if you've ever seen this before. But something really began to shift in, in our nation at that time. Because following the destruction of the Twin Towers, uh, philosopher and brilliant neuroscientist Sam Harris, he, he began writing a book called The End of Faith, subtitled Religion, Terror, and the Future of Reason. Now, this book was a, a huge critique on all religion, specifically Christianity. In fact, when he took it to publishers, listen to this, 12 publishers turned him down. 12, now, now I, I've never written a book, but, but, but as I was reading about this, they said that like, like this would be extremely discouraging. 
And what publishers were telling him is that if you bring this, if you bring this manuscript back to us in a couple years, we'll, we'll publish it. But right now, to write a book critiquing Christianity when Christianity is an all-time high in our nation, nobody's going to buy this. Eventually, Sam Harris found a publisher, convinced him to publish it. And this book, it, it remained on the New York Times bestsellers list for 33 weeks. 30, 33 weeks. The end of faith. Two years later, in response to the feedback that Sam had received from irate Christians, he, he, released, he released a book called Letter to a Christian Nation. It was an open letter to American Christians who had written Sam and, and just were furious about what he was writing about. And this book made it all the way to number seven on the New York Times bestsellers list. Now that same year, another, another well-known atheist who's kind of considered one of the four horsemen of what's called new atheism today, or Atheist 2.0 is sometimes frequently referred to, uh, by the name of Richard Dawkins. Richard Dawkins released his best-selling book called The God Delusion. And, and in the very beginning of his book, he says this, kind of in the, in, the, in the opening paragraphs. He says, if this book works as I intend, religious readers who open it will be atheists when they put it down. Now, over three million Americans uh, purchased a copy of this book and has since been translated into 35 different languages. Now, now the following year, now this is 2006, so, so all of this happened kind of just in the following years right after, the, right after 9-11. The following year, journalist and philosopher Christopher Hitchens, he released his best-selling book called God is Not Great, subtitled How Religion Poisons Everything. Now his book, just three weeks after it was released, made it to the number one on the New York Times bestsellers list. Now these men, these men, they are brilliant. I mean, absolutely brilliant. Their intellect, their wit, their education, their credentials. I mean, like, if, if I were to meet any of them, I would literally just, I would say, sir, I honor the fact that you are so intelligent. You are way smarter than me. So much, so much more intelligent than, than me. Uh, but, but because of kind of their credentials and their grit, they became rock stars in our, in our nation. And if you're a little bit older, maybe you kind of remember this, but they were on late-night television shows. I mean, Christian apologists were lining up left and right to debate them, and they were shutting people down. And I mean, they're on college campuses all over America. I mean, these men literally became, became rock stars. Now, now, their big idea, the thesis for all of their writing, is that religion is the problem. That if we look back at 9-11 and we look at all the problems in our world, the mess that's going on in society, it's all religion's fault. Religion is the problem. Now, when I look into atheism, and again, I'm not, I mean, I am so not even close to as smart as these guys. So I am not here today to try to convince anybody that my beliefs are like the right beliefs. Like these guys would shut me up in any debate, okay? But like I do have my beliefs and I'm pretty convicted on them. But when I look into atheism, I, I see some things that are kind of unsettling that I can't fully resolve. And I want us to understand something real quick. Christianity is kind of unsettling too. There's a lot of stuff in Christianity that we can't really resolve. And a lot of people walk away from the Christian faith because of some of these unsettling issues. We're going to talk a lot about that in, in, all, of these, in all of these talks, what difference does God make. But, but, but I, just, I think we also need to know that there are some very unsettling ideas, very, some un, very unsettling things in the atheist world as well. Now, unsettling does not mean not true. I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to claim that because it's unsettling that it's not true. I'm not, I'm not trying to say it. Again, I'm not trying to persuade anybody, really not. But, but I do think we need to look and say, okay, what, 
what is the alternative to not believing in God? I also want to equip us as a church, and we're a young church. We're only eight months old, and we've got a 30-year vision for this thing, and after 30 years, I'm moving to Hawaii, and, and I'm hanging it up the towel. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. My wife would be like, you'll never stop working. And, but, but, but we've got a long-term vision for this, but as a young church, I, I want to I equip us because I think sometimes, too, as Christians, as soon as we discover somebody's an atheist, we're like, oh, my gosh, it's the enemy filled with devils, Satan. Like, we're like, what? Like, no. Like, and, and I just, I want, us to, I want us to be a community that really is so, so comfortable with people who just believe nothing like us, maybe behave nothing like us, and to still know that, hey, you, you still belong here. Like, we, we're so thankful that you feel comfort and encouragement here. I literally had somebody tell me, this was a couple months ago, somebody told me, they're like, I really like what you say, and I think the teachings of Jesus are really great. I just want to learn more about how to live like Jesus lived, but I don't really believe anything that you say about Jesus being the Savior. And I thought, I'm so glad that you're here, because you're so welcome. You don't have to believe everything that I believe to belong here. And so, so if somebody says they're an atheist, they're not like the enemy. Okay, like, like, so I just want us to understand, though, what is atheism? There's really three, there's six big ideas around atheism. I'm only going to talk about three of them very briefly, very quickly this morning. Um, because the other three are, are, are like, the, these are the three, the three I'm going to share with you this morning are the three that are most commonly referenced. So I want to I speak about them really quick. The first one, the first one is that something, the atheist faith, and it is a faith, everybody has faith in something, even if it's the belief in nothing, it's still faith. The atheist faith would say that something came from no thing. That something came from nothing. You know, Charles Darwin, you know, the, the, the man, brilliant guy who, who kind of gave some credibility to, to the idea of evolution. Even Darwin, though, he struggled in his attempt to explain the origin of the universe or matter or time or laws of, of physics and biology. He couldn't really figure out, okay, where did it all come from, that, that time, space, and matter had to have a beginning, but, but like you can't speak about time when you talk about there being a beginning because nothing came before that. And so they, they struggled, even their finite minds, their brilliant minds, they, they couldn't figure out, okay, where, where, where did all of this come from? How did cosmology even, just the creation of, of the original matter that existed before the Big Bang took place, where did that come from? In fact, Richard Dawkins, the, again, the author of The God Delusion that we referenced a few moments ago, he said this. He said that cosmology is awaiting its Darwin. That still somebody hasn't quite figured out. Like there's some unsettling things here that, that science has yet to kind of figure out. And so it makes us wonder. It makes me wonder, well, then why is there anything? Why? I mean, if there's no God, why is there anything? To which they would say, atheists would say, well, where did God come from? Which I'd say, great point, great question. My daughter's asking me that question right now. I'm saying, I don't know. He just always was. Because my belief is that God created time. And so our finite thinking and minds can't, can't rationalize what it would be like without time. But God's the creator of time. So he made time. And so, yeah, there's some things that are unsettling there. But equally so, there's some things that are unsettling about atheism. Second thing is that first life emerged from no life with no help. Now, I don't want to bore you here, but there's this big scientific word called biopoiesis, biopoiesis, which simply means the process of non-life becoming life, non-life becoming life. Chunks of matter finding a way to kind of become 
single cell organism and then becoming you, me. Now, now all scientists would tell you, they'd say that the improbability of non-life becoming life is so high that if it didn't happen, this is what they would say, this is what they would say, I'm not taking anything out of context here, or at least I'm not trying to, they would say it's so high that if it didn't happen, we wouldn't believe it. They'd say the only reason we believe it is because I guess it happened, because they look at each other and they say, well, I guess it happened. But, but science would tell you that the improbability is so high that it seems like it's more of an impossibility. The, the third kind of big idea of atheism is that natural selection is responsible for all life after the first life. Now, natural selection is, is the process of a single-cell organism evolving over time. It's the process of evolution, evolving over time, kind of, kind of uh, adapting to its atmosphere around it so that it could survive. It's the process of survival for Organisms. It's the process of, of, of evolution. But natural selection still does not explain the origin of life. If there was a one-time event that took place, what happened before, before that event? Now, Richard Dawkins, again, Richard Dawkins is kind of the leader today in, in this new atheism movement. And, and he wrote in The God Delusion, he said this at the very end of his book, and, and I, was, I was reading through this, at the very end of his book, he he, he made this statement. In fact, he, he wrote this paragraph that almost sounds like, I'm going to put it up on the screen here in a moment, but it almost sounds like he's making fun of the rest of his book. It almost sounds that way. But he's not. And I understand what he's trying to do. He's trying to give some life and, and, and some energy to something that kind of seemed maybe lifeless. And so at the very end of his book, he says this. And I want us to listen to this. He says, think about it. On one planet, and possibly only one planet, in the entire universe, molecules that would normally make nothing more complicated than a chunk of rock gather themselves together into chunks of rock-sized matter of such staggering complexity that they are capable of running, jumping, swimming, flying, seeing, hearing, capturing, and eating other such animated chunks of complexity capable in some cases of thinking, feeling, and falling in love with yet other chunks of complex matter. We now understand essentially how the trick is done. I mean, I'm not, I'm not making that up. Like, like Richard Dawkins said that himself. We now understand how the trick is done. But, but you don't. There's still a lot here that's, that's very, very unsettling. So maybe you would say, maybe you know somebody who would say, I don't believe in God, but I don't really believe all of that either. And here, here's what I've come to discover. Atheism isn't really all that appealing to most people. It's just that religion is, is less so. And so as a result, people are kind of moving away from the idea of God, faith, Christianity, religion. But, but because we all kind of inside of intrinsically humanity understands that if you get rid of God altogether, it's pretty problematic. Because if you get rid of God altogether, you dismiss a whole lot that is fundamentally attached to God. Like you, you dismiss and you get rid of things like justice. If there is no God, there is no justice. There's no, there's no official right or wrong. If there is no God, there, there's no morality. You can't really say that this is definitively right, this is definitively wrong. There's no supreme being to set the standard for those two things. So we're all left up to us. It's where the idea that has kind of come today that millennials have kind of, kind of taken on themselves. We say, you have your truth and I have, and I have my truth. That doesn't really work with justice and morality. Because if you have your justice and I have my justice, You'll end up in prison or I'll end up in prison, but one of us 
is going to end up behind bars because we, there has to be a commonality in order to even just function as a society. You get, rid of, you get rid of God, you get rid of beauty. You get rid of purpose. You get rid of meaning. If you get rid of God, what difference does any of this make? We live our lives, and maybe we kind of come up with our own idea of what life is all about, what I want to do with my life. And at the end of my life, I lay my head on my pillow. I breathe my last breath. What difference did any of it really make? We get rid of meaning, purpose, beauty. We, we, get rid of, we get rid of miracles. We get rid of eternity. I mean, you get rid of God, there's no hope for your loved ones. There's no hope for you to see your loved ones. You get rid of it all. I think even more so, more alarmingly, I, th- I, I think, I really believe you get rid of love. I kind of added that one in there myself. The others, I've stolen from other Christian apologists, but, but you, you get rid of love. I think if you get rid of God, you get rid of what real love really is all about. And we're left in our own vices to determine what love even is. And this is why I think, this is why so few people are willing to get rid of God altogether. So when these men, Sam Harris, Richard Dawkins, Christopher Hitchens, when they wrote these books right after 9-11, they, 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 they had a, a relatively small percentage of the population who who actually read them. I mean, three million is still a lot, but still kind of relatively small considering the size of our, our nation, almost 400 million people now. But a measurable percentage of the population was impacted by their writings. In fact, only about 7% of our nation would ascribe to the faith of atheism, to the, to the creed of, of being an atheist. But millions and millions of people are stepping out of the religious lane kind of into the unaffiliated lane. And, 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 and there's, this, there's this, this, this new population of people that in the last five years, lots of studies have been done about, and they're, they're being referred to as the nuns. Not N-U-N, but N-O-N-E-S, the nuns. So if you tell somebody I'm a nun because of this, and they're like, what? Like, like you got to spell it for them, okay? So if this is you, make sure you spell it for somebody when you, when you share with them who you are, what you believe. But the, the nuns are, the nuns are, are people who kind of, on that religious box, on the religious surveys, they click off nothing. Re- religious identity, none. None, I'm a nun. And, and it's about 23% of our nation now, 23% of Americans would say that they are religiously unaffiliated. They, they're, they're, they're a nun. It's about 35% of, of millennials. For the first time in our nation's history, there are more religiously unaffiliated than there are evangelical Christians or, or Catholic Christians combined. For the first time in our nation, almost 100 million people now would say, I'm a nun. They're, they're neither against nor for. They're, they're neither hostile toward religion nor affiliated with it. And the majority of these people, they're ex-church, they're ex-Christian. Surveys are telling us that it's about 90% of, 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 of those of people who would say, I'm a nun, about 90% are ex-church. They're, they're deconverted from, from Christianity. Most of them still believe in God, but they're just... I don't know, I'm just kind of theologically apathetic. They identify as spiritual, but maybe not really religious. They say, you be good, I'll be good. Just kind of go light on the God thing, though. And I think what's happening is that, is that we're, we're putting God kind of in a box. And we, we kind of have this, this idea that if I, can, if I can kind of have the parts of God, the justice and the morality and the meaning and the purpose, but, but the other parts of God... I, kind of want him to kind of stay in the box. I don't really want to kind of open the lid because I, 
I don't know, I'd rather just have the parts of God that I want and then maybe on Friday night I can kind of put the rest of the box, just kind of set him over there, you know. So I'll, I'll take what I want, but kind of, I'll put him kind of back when, I, when, it, when it doesn't really fit, when it doesn't really fit what I'm, what I'm doing. It's this God in the box mentality. I was, I was reading, and rather I heard this interview with Goldie Hawn, and, and she said this, and I think this is what so many of us, so many of us feel. She said, I don't think there's any question that prayer can work. In fact, she was, she was referring to how her son uh, was miraculously healed when he was younger. And she said, I don't think there's any question that prayer can work. I'm a very spiritual person. I'm not a religious person. Although I was raised Jewish and I like my tribe, but that was a, a beautiful thing. In other words, what she is saying is, I don't, I don't really want a book. I don't really want a book to define me. I don't really want a church to, to kind of define God for me. I don't want religion. I just want spirituality. So we kind of, we kind of put God kind of put him in a box. Now, now here's, here's, we're closing up right here, but here's what I'm discovering. I, I started to, the new year, I started just to read over and over and over again. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's the first four books of the newer portion of our Bible called the New Testament. It's the, it's the books that, that reveal to us the eyewitness accounts of Jesus, of his life, of his, of his ministry, of his death, of his burial, of his resurrection. I just started reading these over and over and over again. I just wanted to kind of see more of how Jesus interacted with people. I just wanted to learn a little bit more about his dealings with humanity. And, and over and over and over again, I, I see this resounding theme that, that people who were nothing like Jesus really, really liked Jesus. I mean, he just attracted all sorts of different kinds of people who you would never have thought or assumed would be attracted to somebody like Jesus. And it's because of this, we're going to talk more about this in the weeks to come, but it's because of this that I am convinced that if Christianity is not compelling, it, because, 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 because I think in so many ways we, we'd all say it's really, not that, it's really not that compelling, but I'm convinced if it's not, I think it's because we have the wrong version of God. I think it's because we have the wrong version of Jesus. We, we've been... We've been maybe taught or, or, or disillusioned in some way, maybe through experiences or through actual teaching or whatever it may be, but we've been taught the wrong vision, the wrong version of, of Christianity. And over the next few weeks, I'm, I'm going to do my best. I'm going to do my best. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm going I'm to do my absolute best to reveal the right version of God, who, who, who God really is, to convince us together as a community that if you've lost faith in God, it may be because... You had faith in a God that never actually existed to begin with. You had faith in a God that was the wrong one. And, and I'm, I'm hoping that over the next few weeks that together we can, we can let God out of his, out of his box. Because I, I really believe that if, if God is only as big as your imagination, you have a God that is that is no bigger than you. And I think, I think it's that reason why most people are leaving Christianity. I say, Jordan, I don't know if I understand. Stick with us. Because I, I really think, I think there's something here. And I, I think, I really believe there's a, there's a journey that God, that God, I really believe this. Maybe I'm crazy, maybe I'm kooky. If you're newer in here, you don't believe in God. But I really believe that God, he's kind of taking us somewhere. And he wants to show himself for who he really is. So maybe you or someone that you know is leaving the faith and they aren't buying into atheism entirely. Maybe you or someone you know had some experiences that didn't line up with God. 
with the God that they were taught about. You were receiving faith-based answers for the fact-based questions, and you, and you got confused. And as a result, you kind of started putting God in a box. And it wasn't that atheism was so appealing to you. It was just that, that God wasn't anymore. So we're going to ask ourselves this question. What difference does God really make? We're not going to dive into atheism over the next several weeks. It's not going to be the topic of our conversation. I'm going to base the rest of our talks off of this idea that you and I, statistically, 93% of America wants there to be a God. So we're going to come at it from that perspective. What does it really look like to know the real God who presents himself as our Heavenly Father? I want to close one more time with the scripture that we read in the beginning. Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me. And you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me. And you'll learn to live freely and lightly.